according to the big board, it's too close to call the election, but it's not close to call another edition of the Bearded Carcast. I am Mike Pacheco. He is Dave Freeman. We encourage you to follow along, subscribe, like, share, leave a message. Bearded Carcast is how you can follow us along at Bearded Carcast on Twitter. Bearded Carcast at Outlook.com is how you can send us an email. We're particularly fond of solicitations from overseas that will give us millions and millions of dollars for absolutely nothing to do. Uh, that seems legit. And, of course, in these days, Dave, um, there's a lot of craziness out there. But how are you doing, buddy? Well, I, I am good. I disagree. I think that uh, the election is about as clear-cut as Authentics win in the Breeders' Cup Classic on Saturday, which is to say it is over, completely over, and done. Maybe there's some lawsuits still to come. But, um, yeah, I, I wish I had gotten some of that money into my bank account to bet on Authentic because we could have uh, tripled or quadrupled our dough. Well, and, uh, you know, that would have... That would have made for some um, some good new equipment for the bearded car cast, maybe. Yeah, we can always use new <laughs> new technology. We like new technology. I've got kind of a. We're recording this just after eleven a.m. on Wednesday morning. Okay. This morning, yeah. I woke up and drove to Gardner Webb to do a COVID test because I'm broadcasting Saturday's Gardner Webb football game at UNC Charlotte, and that's the protocol. You need to do a COVID test before you go into the press box to broadcast the game. And I thought it was very ironic. Yesterday, I had about a half hour Zoom one-on-one meeting with Gardner Webb's new football coach, who so far, only a couple of times that I've talked to him, I really like. He's a very, very young guy. He's very energetic, seems really genuine. And, you know, we're in a climate where you can't sit down and do face-to-face meetings, which, you know, it stinks, but you, you move on and you get a new routine and it's okay. It's not okay to sit down and do a face-to-face with him, but it was okay for me to stand in line in back of him for a COVID <laughs> test. <laughs> well, I mean, isn't that the world we live in? That is the world we live in. <laughs> Just, I, I mean... You know, I, I drove an hour from my house to Gardner Webb. I stood in line in back of the football coach who I interviewed yesterday, yeah. and then I drove an hour home. And you know that that's that's the morning and that's the climate. And quite frankly, I think we should just be happy that we get to have football and occasionally broadcast football. And you know, Winthrop's basketball season is getting ready to begin, and the the fact we're able to go to practice, even though we have to be socially distant and and we can prepare for the season to to a degree it's just awesome that we have this but at the same time i i got back from boiling springs this morning to uh find out that a fourth sec football game this weekend has been canceled so you know i don't know how many teams there are in the sec anymore but half or maybe 40% of the games are are off alabama lsu georgia missouri texas a&m tennessee auburn mississippi state all out last week in the nfl we had uh, matthew stafford the quarterback for the lions didn't know he was going to be able to play until I don't know, Saturday night or Sunday morning. This week, we've got Ben Roethlisberger on the the COVID list, and it seems like a similar deal to Stafford that probably Sunday morning or Saturday he'll get the thumbs up and and be able to play. But it's just, it's incredible the way things have changed. What what we previously would have thought was 
impossible is now what we deal with every single day and week. Well, and I think it's um, balancing safety with, you know, taking risks, modified risks, uh, and trying to be as close to normal as possible in an unnormal time. And, you know, with, with, when it comes to the college stuff, and, and it's it's more, I think it's more so exacerbated on the college level uh, for, for multiple reasons, but, uh, you know, you're asking 18, 19, 20-year-old kids to be disciplined in areas that maybe they're, it's, they're not used to. And I'm, and I'm not, I'm not giving them an out. I mean, they, they should be doing the following the protocols and stuff like that, but it just seems like, you know, you're asking kids at that age to be more responsible than, um, than the general population. And, you know, even with the NFL guys, uh, some of the contact that we've seen that they've gotten into, it's more family related, but you know, college kid, you know, it's easy for them to make a bad decision, right? About, you know, go on and go out to that party on Friday night with, you know, 10 of your friends, maybe 12 friends. But if one of those friends has COVID, now you're, you know, you've potentially put the whole team in jeopardy. I still think this comes back to dollars and cents. I mean, if it wasn't for the economics behind it, there wouldn't have been a NBA bubble that cost a billion dollars or whatever it was. People wouldn't go to the end of the earth to make sure that these games of nominal importance were played. But the NCAA, without an NCAA tournament this year, has major, major problems. And without a college football off, our five schools have a major financial issue on their hand. Didn't we just see this week? Didn't UNC Charlotte announce pretty widespread uh, furloughs in their athletic department? Yeah, I think it was like 48 members of the department that were making more than, I think, $50,000 a year had to take uh, you know some sort of furlough. No, I mean, David, that, yep. that's up and down the economy, right? I mean, it's, and I don't know, I mean, I'm not an economist, so I can't, um, but I think just because... Do you play one on podcasts? I do play one on podcasts, but so I'm just, this is very oh, great. Sim, sim, simplistic of me to say, but I think, you know, we have a different economy now than we did in 1919 and cost of things in relation to salary, I think is off. I mean, I think it was probably easier, not easier, but you know, I, I think in the old times, maybe it was a little bit easier to keep a, a business running longer over time than it is now, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, how many people, I mean, a lot of, you know, back in the 1900s, early 1900s, I'm sure a lot of those were family businesses. So maybe you were just scraping by, but now, you know, you have, you know, restaurants that employ, you know, up to a hundred people. And then if you're talking about a chain um, and, you know, we're more of a independent uh, people now and we're more mobile so we can travel and do things. So the travel industry, the restaurant industry, um, you know, have been clobbered. Now you look at, uh, the construction industry, you look at um, like home renovations, like the stuff that we're doing, uh, you know, general contractors are busier than they've ever been. They're probably busier now than they've been at any time in the last 10 years. So it's, yeah. it's, I mean, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it, it's so interesting though, how we as a society can stand up for something right up until the economics jump in. And it makes a ton of sense. I mean, the economics pay your salary and my salary and the, the economy and everything like that. But I mean, I think a big political issue here in Charlotte over the last, 
let's call it six months, maybe it's longer than that, has been Black Lives Matter and social protests. And they closed down a main street in Uptown for, I don't know, last four or five months, something like that. And now they've decided that they're going to open it back up to traffic. And the reason for that primarily is those businesses that say that that is adversely affecting their their restaurant or their their business. And I mean, I, I don't think there's any way to dispute it. Of course, it's disrupting their business. If there's no valet parking, if there's no drive through, if it's more difficult to get around, people are going to be less likely to to want to go do business in those places. But on the flip side, you've got the, the social dynamics and you've got all of those other kind of hot button issues. It's the same thing with sports. I mean, on, on one hand, it seems like we want to play because it's normal and it's good and how enjoyable has the last two months been even if there have been some players that opted out and some players that have gotten sick I mean for me sitting on my couch watching football on Sundays that feels normal and it feels routine but if there weren't the economics involved I I don't really think we'd be doing that do you well, it goes back to the word I used earlier. I think everything comes down to balance. I mean, I think, you know, you can't completely shut down. You know, we have too many people in this country to, to shut down because how are you going to be able to sustain people, right? If, if people aren't making any money, how are you able to pay your rent and eat food? So, uh, so you know, a complete and utter shutdown over a long period of time is just not sustainable. Now, we and, you know, social scientists and historians and econ- economists, political scientists, they'll be – mulling over this for 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 years maybe centuries um about the, our response to this pandemic because um you know i think if some people had taken this serious in march and april maybe you know maybe things aren't as bad as they are now but there was such a reluctance by a big segment of the population um you know and you had some uh you know between moderate people and all the way down to crackpots that just you know it, it became not a health issue but it became a rights issue, like uh, and some people, you know, referring to people that wore masks as being sheep, which I thought was absurd. Um, and you know, now we're, you know, I think we're reaping the the uh, unfortunately the benefits of the idiots that didn't get behind trying to be safe. And I, I liken this to once the horses are out of the barn, it's tough to get them back in. And um, and and this is a you know, a, I'm not pinpointing one particular person. I mean, I think this is, uh, I think a lot of people. Uh, all of us have maybe some element of uh, blame in this because, you know, I don't know that we got on board as a society to, to try and really knock this out. And, you know, it's hard when the messaging is it's a hoax. Right. But um, but to get back to sports, I mean, I think the economics of it, you know, you have look at look at all and not just the colleges, Dave, but look at all the teams that are, um, you know, furloughing people, you know, a lot of the MLB teams. I mean, and these are these are teams. That, some of the people that own these teams are extremely wealthy and, and maybe could afford to hold on a little bit longer. But they're they're furloughing people. So it's at some point, I think you have to use. Uh, th- there is some risk involved in everything that you do in life. But I think you got to do everything you, you can to be safe. And so I think it's been a struggle for us as a society to to balance getting back to work, trying to get back to as much as normal as possible. Um, but realizing also that um, you know we we 
we missed an opportunity uh, early on in this thing to maybe try and get it under control. And um, from a sports perspective, I felt like, and I can't tell you the last time I felt this way. Uh, normally, when the World Series is over, I'm like, okay, that was fun, but I'm good with baseball. And when the World Series ended this year, I was like, no, I want more. Like, I'm, I'm ready for more baseball. Um, and I think some of that was because there was no NFL or, excuse me, there was no NBA and no NHL, right? So because normally this time of year it would have filled in. Um, but I think the um, the distraction and the good feeling that people got from having hockey and basketball back and then baseball back uh, middle, late summer into the early fall um, and then with the, you know, addition of college football and football. I mean, I think that has been good for our, our national psyche. And I, and I think there are some times where stuff like that is, um, th- that's important too. So it's, you know, I, I think we're, we're, we're flirting the line of, um, of, of acceptable risk, but I think, um, there's, there's, there's benefits to that, but you gotta, you know, you gotta be smart. It just seems to me that the NBA and the NHL got it right. Mm-hmm. Now, they threw a huge amount of dollars at it to get it right. But you talk about bridging that gap about what you can do that's both healthy and safe and keeps the economy moving. But the bubble concept worked for that. It worked in the NBA and it worked in the NHL. And you talk about when baseball season ended, you wanted more of it. I'm not sure we can call the baseball season a success when you had teams that missed 10 days out of a, uh, I don't even know how long was the season, it was like 60 80 games, or 90 right? yeah. no, 60 games. days or oh, no, something yeah, like 80 that. Days, something like that, yeah. Yeah, so you had teams that missed 15% of the season, and then you had to cram in all these games. Now, hey, I, I enjoyed it too, and the World Series was terrific and the playoffs were engaging and entertaining and all those sort of things. But it's very interesting to me because it seems so clear that Adam Silver has navigated the pandemic really as well as any CEO at any company. I mean, just did a tremendous job to ensure the safety of his players and still reap the economic benefits of playing games yet the nba is talking about starting six weeks from now and it is not going to be in a bubble and how are they going to do things safely when we have seen issues flare up with the nfl and with major league baseball well and i think what's um what's interesting about that dave is you know if they are going to come back in that timeline uh you know you want to talk about load management. Um, I mean, you know, you're, you're going to see games where, and, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I mean, if, if you're going to force these guys to come back, you know, the teams that are in the playoffs, especially the teams that are in the finals, you know, when you look at the Heat and the Lakers, um, you know, they're going to have to be careful about, you know, load load management and, and time for your, your superstars or all your players, not just the superstars. And I think it's going to be a good opportunity for, you know, some of the guys at the end of the bench to get, you know, more playing time, which will be probably an interesting from a development side of things. Now, if you're paying and, you know, we don't know what the what the crowd situation is going to look like. Right. I mean, in December, uh, I know in North Carolina, I think it's what, 7 percent. So if the Hornets are back in action, um, 
seven percent, and you're better at math than I am. But what seven percent of what eighteen or nineteen thousand? That's all that's going to be able to go see them at the Spectrum Center. Yeah, yeah. So you know, well, two thousand would be ten percent. So fifteen hundred or eighteen hundred or something. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, what what does that mean for? Yeah, I. I guess that's what's going to take place. I am interested to learn about what the NBA has in store for how their players will go from point A to point B. I'm sure that will be on charter planes, but um, what they'll do with, with hotels and meals and things of that nature, because I kind of think that's where major league baseball ran into trouble. I thought it was really apparent. If you didn't do a bubble, you needed to rent out entire hotels in the cities in which your teams played and those would be utilized maybe for the home teams, but certainly for the road teams when they came in and no one else would be in those properties. And, and they didn't do that. And they ran into some, some significant problems. The NBA, which has been a leader on safety. I I don't know what the plan is, but I'm interested to see, see what it looks like. The NHL has a whole nother problem that I don't know that has broadly been talked about because, you know, the NHL is kind of the fourth professional sport. You still have to quarantine if you go to Canada. Oh, right. So when they resume, I think their options, unless things change, are having kind of a Canadian division where the Canadian teams just play each other and the American teams play each other or relocating teams. Well, and but this all comes on the backdrop that um, you know there are a lot of people that thought the the COVID nineteen was going away on November third. So apparently that hasn't happened. Well, I mean, th- there are some signs that there are are vaccines that are promising, and and maybe no, I was making maybe a, I was that making is a, for. I was making a joke. Right, but that that brings up a really good point. Let, let's say there is a readily available vaccine. Uh, I don't know four months from now or something like that. Could we have avoided a lot of the issues that we've come in touch with by just punting and waiting until that point in time? The obviously reason we haven't done that is the huge financial penalty and the uncertainty. But I think, yes, I think that, but I think also um, from a financial standpoint, it was good for the players and for you know all the people that work behind the scenes, coaches, you know front office people, it's good for all those people to still be able to be employed. But I think it's been good for the general public too to kind of yep. have that. To I mean, especially as 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 um, and I don't I, and I think this is a very uh, nonpartisan statement, but I think as contentious as a lot of elections were, not just the presidential election, but up and down the ballot, state elections, as contentious as this election cycle was, I think it was good for people in the run-up to this to have uh, sports as kind of a, a back to some sense of normalcy. And, you know, I mean, to me, the funniest thing was, um, you know, I've heard from many people and some people even in my family that, you know, it's like when the players were kneeling for the national anthem four years ago and they're like, you know, I just want my politics out of sports. Like, I just, I can't, you know, which to some extent I, I hear them, but on the other hand, it's like, come on, 30 seconds of a guy kneeling is really going to ruin your day. Like, come on. Uh, and you're not taking the time to understand why he's doing it. You just think because the person is making this statement that all of a sudden they're they're a jerk and they're wrong. Well, maybe you should look investigate as to what's behind that because maybe there's a bigger thing. That's a whole other story. Um, 
But for the people that are like, well, you know, I just I just don't want to mix my politics. And then the last three weeks leading up to the election, every commercial break was, you know, at least in North Carolina, it was either a Trump ad, a Biden ad, a Cal Cunningham ad or a Tom Tillis ad. Did you know that Jamie Harrison was running for Congress? Oh, and Jamie Harrison. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you didn't know, you were blind. I mean, he he was he was everywhere. But but I mean, to to wrap up the the segment, there's no separating politics from anything else in life. If you go ride a bus, there are going to be people that are interested in politics. And if you turn on the radio, there are going to be people interested in politics. Just like if you ride a bus, there are people interested in sports. I mean, it it all it all mixes together i well, mean in sports and LeBron politics james i was gonna say in sports and politics are, are two of the things that people are most passionate about exactly i mean if you're lebron james though and you have essentially an unlimited amount of money well what else can you do to to amplify what you believe in i mean you have all the money in the world so money is no longer a motivator but you also have a platform i'm not saying I agree or disagree with any of the things he says, but when you reach a certain level of fame and celebrity and money is not a huge factor because you have so much of it, why wouldn't you express your beliefs? There's no downside, but people aren't going to like you as much from one side. Well, that's not impacting you financially. I mean, you, you've got all the money you need, so you're able to, to get your message out. I mean, if you're a celebrity, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah, and that's a that's a subject for another podcast. Um, and I'm not ducking it. I'm just saying because we've gone about 20 minutes <laughs> this stuff. So yeah, I mean, but I, I just like like it, it, I don't know why. I mean, w- when President Obama was doing the filling in the March Madness bracket, right? The President Trump didn't choose to do that, which is totally fine. I mean, whether you like March Madness or not doesn't really matter if you're the president of the United States, but Obama is a basketball fan, so he would fill out the the March Madness bracket with Andy Katz. I'm sure there were people that didn't like that or thought that he was biased in some way, but he's a politician who likes sports, so I didn't really have any issue with that. Same thing if you're a celebrity and you like politics. I mean, that's fine. I mean, if LeBron James came out and told you who his favorite musical artist was, would someone be offended by that? I mean, you're a human being. You're allowed to voice your opinion. We're sitting here doing a podcast. I mean, these are our opinions. They don't make them right Right. or wrong. If we want to talk about politics, we'll talk about politics. If we want to talk about sports, we'll talk about sports. Nobody has to listen. People tend to listen to... But I think the issue with sports, I think the issue with athletes and entertainers, um, especially Hollywood people, is that uh, the megaphone is very loud for them. And And I think there are a lot of people that... They, you know, it, it, and this is this is again nonpartisan, I think. But I mean, I think depending on you know the the people on the left that are very dismissive of people on the right, and vice versa. And now it's a different degree. Like I think, um, I think Democrats think all Republicans or most Republicans, and I'm paraphrasing, and I'm not saying this is my personal belief, but this is just what I think I've been observing over the last four to eight years. Democrats tend to think that Republicans are nuts. Because, you know, they embrace all these crazy conspiracy theories. And I think Republicans think Democrats um, don't have original thought. And the only way they can win is by cheating. Which is, yeah, I just, you know, I don't know why 
you should argue with the platform that LeBron James or Sean Hannity has. They have it. They have put themselves in a position to gain fame and fortune, and now they are going to express their opinions. You don't have to agree with either of them, but well, they, I, but, they that, have but that's not an apples to the, oranges comparison. Like one is, uh, like an like an athlete, their, their job is to to play sports, and it's okay for. And I I don't I I agree with you. I don't have a problem with people speaking their mind. Um, but Sean Hannity, like his job is to espouse all the views that he has. So I, I think it's you're not really comparing. Like he he's probably not the example I would use. Yeah, but, okay. It might not be a a great example, but um, who who is a a really famous celebrity that but leans strong? But I think strong. that's but I think that's the problem that um that Republicans have. You know, it's like, and this is no disrespect to Scott Bayo, but Scott Bayo and James Woods are the kind of the right leaning celebrities that always get trotted out when it's you know LeBron James or it's George Clooney or it's you know. I mean, Aubrey Huff has pretty strong opinions and Kurt Schilling is pretty strong opinions. You can agree with them or not, but they have the right to express those and people can follow them if they want or not. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with that. I, I mean, everyone can stand up and whoever wants to listen can listen. Whoever doesn't want to, doesn't want to. There's a reason that, um, Bill Simmons gets millions of people to download his podcast. I don't download his podcast. I could give two hoots what he has to say, but he's popular and people like him. So he's got a platform and he can express his opinions on it. I mean, Aubrey Huff has the same thing and Kurt Schilling has the same thing. And so does um, um, whoever the left-leaning politicians or left-leaning celebrities were talking about. I mean, LeBron James can express his opinion whoever wants to pay attention to it. I just, I don't, I don't really get it. Like you, you have risen to the level and you have the, the um, audience that, that you do. Like, like I, I don't know why we would, would speak negatively about that. You, you can turn on or turn off whoever it is you want to listen to. You think enough people have turned us off yet? <laughs> I think I've turned us off. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I stopped paying attention eight minutes. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Are you, are you still talking, Dave? <laughs> it is Mike, right? Yeah. This is the beard podcast with Mike Pachico. I'm Dave Friedman. Thanks for joining us. You can listen on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can send us an email, beardedcartcast at outlook.com. Please leave a review if you enjoy the show. If you don't enjoy the show, you can leave a review as well. Tomorrow is the start of the Masters. It is pretty weird as most things have been in 2020 to be talking about the masters in mid November. Um, how do you feel? I mean, are, are you excited about the masters? I I am oddly enough. Um, I, I love watching the masters. Now I have not, uh, for whatever reason, it always seems to come at a time where we either have a school vacation or most likely uh, it comes around some sort of nights um, stuff that I have to do. So I have not had the opportunity uh, in person to go to the Masters, which is on the on the list of the, the bucket list, if you will. And I know you've, you've been able to take your dad, so I know that was it's been a special thing for you. Um, 
that's just a I mean it's just a great course it's got the history um yeah yes it's a weird year but uh you know I think it's good anytime that we can try to have any kind of sense of normalcy uh I I think it's 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 good and you know what's going to be interesting right is uh, and this is like the first time since I don't I can't remember the last time it has been played outside of the normal window before hasn't it or is this the first time do you know I'm not aware that it has, but it's possible. But th- there are a lot of really interesting things about it. Um, v- very briefly, I do not believe, and I only say this because my dad is a big golf guy. So I grew up watching golf on a semi-regular basis. At this point, I more or less watch the four majors and an occasional other tournament somewhere along the way. But I never got the sense growing up that the Masters was the Super Bowl. I thought the Masters was one of the three biggest events of the year. The PGA has always been kind of the fourth major. It is a major. It is significant and important, but it used to come last in the rotation, and it's the newest, and it was the least important. But the British Open, the Open Championship, and the United States Open, and the Masters all kind of vied for what is the biggest. And I think people across the pond would tell you the Open Championship was the biggest yeah. and, and people really in amateur golf and that appreciated the U.S. Open had the largest field would tell you that's the most difficult of the majors. And then the Masters kind of has all of the history to it. But over the last 10, 15, 20 years, it, it seems to me the branding of the Masters has turned it into kind of the clear-cut number one major. And I think some of that, well, I think there's a couple of things that play into that, right? Uh, you know, of the, uh, you know, of the majors, um, it's the only one that stays at the same course, right? Everything else. I think that's a huge part of it. I uh, completely agree. We, yeah. It's the only golf tournament in the world that you can turn on on Sunday of the Masters and kind of generally feel like you know how players should attack certain holes. Like you kind of have an idea of, of what it looks like and the way it's supposed to be played, which makes modern golf so unbelievably interesting because they don't go after it the same way. I mean, Bryson DeChambeau is the betting favorite Mm -hmm. to win the Masters, and he doesn't really care whether he hits a fairway or not. I mean, he's going to try to hit the fairway, but more importantly, he's going to bludgeon the ball as far as he can. Yeah, no no doubt about it. And, you know, of course, you know, Tiger, um, the defending champ. So, you know, going back to, I mean, wouldn't it be something if he was able to repeat? Um, Yeah. I I mean, I don't know. I think his chances are. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't think Tiger's gotten to the point, and this is such a weird thing to say. It needs to be hot out. Like mm. his back is not in good shape. And if it's really hot out and it's not a problem, he has to go through all of the, the loosening it up stuff. Like, like he's much more able to win middle of the summer tournaments in hot places. I, I don't think, I mean, it's raining today in Charlotte. It is supposed to be pretty warm, I think, this weekend. But I think he needs kind of perfect conditions, typically, to win. That being said, Tiger Woods and Augusta National have been a pretty good partnership over a long period of time. Man, if he were in the in the running, if he were in the mix Sunday, it would answer a lot of the questions which I had prepared to ask you about right now, which well, is minute, Jim Just- Nance's... I was going to say uh, 71, partly cloudy on Saturday, 
76 a.m. showers. 20% of rain on Saturday, 30% rain on Sunday at the Masters. Yeah, well, I mean, that that's pretty good. I think Tiger would prefer 20 degrees hotter, but I, 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 that's still pretty good. CBS is sending the A-team. I mean, Jim Nance is not doing football Sunday. My friend Andrew Catalan is not doing NFL football on Sunday. He's broadcasting the Masters from his house in New Jersey. And you are getting all of the efforts of CBS into golf this week, not into football. Now, Augusta National kind of recognizing the circumstance, and part of it has to do with the time, too. I mean, you can't play until... 7 or 8 o'clock at night this time of year. It's dark too early. Yes, yeah. But but the way the tournament has been structured, it will end before the 4 p.m. football games, the 4 p.m. Eastern NFL games on Sunday. Mm. But it will be going on during the 1 o'clock games. So the Masters is going to be on TV from something like, I haven't actually looked at this, 9 a.m. until 4 p.m., Eastern time on Sunday. They are going directly head-to-head with the NFL. Nobody purposely takes on the NFL. CBS is not only doing that, but they are sending their top people to Augusta National. I I can't think of anything. I I can never think of anyone else that would directly take on the NFL. Now, there's no alternative. I mean, I don't know how else they would have done it. You're not going to end the golf tournament at noon. So they they didn't really have a choice. But, I mean, on Sunday, if you told me the PGA Championship was going to end during the same time as the NFL, I would say, I'm probably not going to watch the PGA's final round. And if you told me that... You know, that there was a, a major tennis championship that did not involve Federer playing Djokovic or Djokovic playing Nadal or Nadal playing Federer, those big three guys. I probably wouldn't watch it, but I don't know, Mike. I set up two TVs and a laptop on NFL Sundays. I, I have a strong suspicion that the Masters will be on one of those. Well, and I think the... And the storylines will play into that, right? Because there'll be, there'll be a storyline that's going to emerge, whether it's one that we've briefly touched on or, or something that we just don't see, you know, um, you know, maybe it's, you know, Brooks Kopka playing well, you know, or um, he hasn't been playing that great, but, you know, maybe he's come back. Maybe it's a first timer, you know, that hasn't seen that in 40 years where a guy playing for the first time is one, you know, some of the young guys, you know, so I, I think there will be some sort of compelling story, but this, look, this is 2020 in a nutshell. I mean, yeah, ideally you wouldn't want to go up against uh, an NFL Sunday, but you know, this is your premier in golf. I mean, this is one of your, like you said, one of your four premier events of the year. So I think it will still hold interest. Now, I, I'll be working Sunday, so it's it'll be hard. I mean, I'll be paying attention to it, but it won't be like I'm watching it. Um, I just looked this up. I had no idea this was the case. I also have never seen this. There are more NFL games in the late window than the early window. Hmm. There are only five one o'clock NFL games. That is, you know, they're usually seven or eight or nine. They're pretty clearly aware of what's going on. I wonder if CBS and Augusta and the NFL had a three-way call and said, we're going to agree to to work this out so that everyone gets a little bit of of everything. And that's certainly fair. I would say this, and and this may be a little bit – inside baseball for people that are, that listen to this that aren't necessarily working in the business. I think of any of the sports, golf probably lends itself best to not being there. 
just because um and i mean from like the anchor standpoint like a like a catalan or uh because you know a lot of stuff as long as the technology is there you know if you're in a if you're in a tower yes you will see what's in front of you but everything else you're you're catching off a monitor yeah no i agree with that it's also very covid friendly i mean you can you know, you're out on a whole bunch of acres and there aren't that many people and you're outdoors. I mean, mm-hmm. it's among the safer sports to play. But I, I didn't realize this. This is the early Sunday slate. Two and six Houston at five and three Cleveland. Yeah. Two and six Washington at three and five Detroit. One and seven Jacksonville at six and two Green Bay. Two and seven New York Giants hosting three, four and one Philadelphia. And six and three Tampa at three and six Carolina. Those are the five early games. It's pretty easy decision to watch the Masters over that group. <laughs> and th- there's not one game between two winning teams. The majority but of they those couldn't teams have are that. not in playoff contention. But they didn't forecast that when they set the schedule, though. Well, they certainly didn't forecast it, but they could have taken some logical guesses. I mean, you would guess that... The Jaguars aren't going to be good. And you could probably project that, that you know, the, the games that you knew were going to be good, Seattle and the L.A. Rams, the 49ers and Saints, which actually yes. isn't a great game, no. the Bengals and Steelers, those games are all late. The Ravens and Patriots is Sunday night. I, 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 I do not think that's not by design to some degree. No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, any thoughts on the Masters? Anyone you're rooting for? Anyone you're particularly interested in? The betting seems to be very, very spread out. DeChambeau is the favorite, but Justin, Dustin Johnson and John Rahm and Justin Thomas and Rory McIlroy and Xander Shoffley all, all sort of getting a lot of play. Did you it, see that? Uh, I think the hole in one that John Rahm got yesterday. I did not. Um, he uh, skipped a ball off the water. It was a par three. I think it was on 16, and he... Oh, okay, on a, in a practice round? Yeah, yeah, it rolled in. Yeah, they do a lot of that. I mean, the, those golfers are incredibly talented. They have all kind of every trick shot known to man. I think back to that, that Nike commercial with Tiger from several years ago where he was bouncing the ball on his club and then took a rip at it and hit it. They, they can do incredible things. I think that's what makes golf great right now. The, the depth of the field is incredible. I mean, there are just so many good players. Like, you can bet it's going to be a good tournament because there's so many good players. Yeah. I mean, I'm, and this just, my favorite golfer is, has been Rory McIlroy over the years. Um, I've always liked watching him. Um, so I, I always root for him. I mean, he's a guy that, um, you know, when he's on, he's, he's as tough as anybody. So we'll see. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the thing about him is he's he's tremendous and his achievements are incredible. Yet the depth of the field is so good. If this was tennis, Rory McIlroy would be an all time great because he'd be in that Federer, Nadal, Djokovic clash uh, group and he'd be playing against guys that are just vastly inferior. But in golf, where McIlroy has won three majors the only major he has not won is the masters the the level of talent around him is so strong that he can't just go out and kind of play his b b minus 
and win. In tennis for a long time, those three guys could not be beaten by anyone other than someone else in that group. In in golf, there's so many good players. McIlroy hasn't won a major since 2014. That's incredible. And and he's never won a Masters. This would be his first if he won it. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it, they're incredibly talented, and and it will be a lot of fun. Let's quickly talk a little bit of football before we call it a week. Um, I I continue to be incredibly impressed by Teddy Bridgewater. I, I thought he was tremendous in that game on Sunday yeah. against the Chiefs, and that hasn't been. Um, he pretty consistently has been good at times has been really good. And, and that 14-yard run, I feel like we're going to be talking about for a long, long time. Well, and if you remember the week before, he got knocked out on a play and came back like a play later. And, um, you know, that really, really boosted the team. I mean, they they like, okay, you know, he's, he's one of us, you know. And I think that, um, you know, that play is emblematic of what they're trying to build here and um, Matt Rule said on Monday you know they're trying to build a culture of winning and you, you know you have to you know at some point you got to win those games right and again it was the Chiefs I mean it was the defending champs you know and all that but they were in a position to you know win that game you know if they have a better uh, last minute 26 and maybe they kick a field goal now you know they had to have that 67 yard attempt by Joey Sly certainly not his fault but to get back I to love Ted, sending them out there I oh, think yeah. like I know hasn't worked twice, but you're, I think your chances of hitting that with a guy who's got a huge leg are better than a Hail Mary. Well, and the other thing I think too is, um, and, and this is just on the visual test. I didn't, I don't know that I have um, analytics support on this. I think he had the leg for it. It was just not accurate. It was wide. Yep. I mean, it was way wide. I think the wind kind of carried it, took it away. But um, no, but to get back to Teddy Bridgewater, um, you know, right now he's. Um, fifth in passing yards in the NFL, and he's and, and Tom Brady's right behind him. Um, you know he's you know when you look at you know almost eight yards a play, which is uh, per passing play. I mean that's you know it's pretty good. And he's, I think the good thing about him, Dave, has been just watching him is just he just brings a calmness to the offense. You know the you know it's almost like. The, um, you know, it's almost like it's not too big for them. And I think the concern coming in with, you know, with new quarterback and even though there was, there was, you know, Christian McCaffrey coming back, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, um, you know, DJ Moore, uh, you know, bringing in Robbie Anderson. You know, I think there was, there was a thought that the offense was going to be okay. And, you know, when they keep him upright, right. I mean, I think it's um, in the games where they've had a chance or they've won, it's been like two or fewer sacks. Um, and, and the games that have gotten I mean, away from them. zero question that he's an improvement on what they've had the last several years. That's a hard one to answer. Well, no, in the last two years, yes, because Cam was never really fully healthy, and so they weren't able, you know, um, you know, a healthy Cam versus a healthy Teddy Bridgewater is an interesting question. But, um, but, but, that, but, but, but it's not no, a relevant question because Cam's never healthy. I mean, and you'd certainly rather the Teddy Bridgewater of this year than the Cam Newton of this year. Oh, and and the Cam Newton of last year. And the Cam Newton of last year. I mean, I I think there was some skepticism of just 
letting Cam Newton walk. You couldn't trade him for anything. You're paying him a bunch of money, and you just let him go. And why? You bring in a guy. Is this guy even better? I think halfway through the year, we can stand up and say the organization made a good decision. Cam Newton doesn't have a ton left, and Teddy Bridgewater has a lot of upside, and I don't know if they're going to build around him. I don't know if he's going to be the quarterback for the next five or eight years, but I think it's a distinct possibility. And if you had Cam Newton on your team right now, I think you'd be talking about drafting a quarterback. Well, and and I think we talked about this either last week or the week before, but for those people that didn't listen, you know, Teddy Bridge, the signing of Teddy what? Bridgewater wasn't a fluke. You know, it wasn't like it wasn't like, oh, hey, you know, let's just get Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, this was a guy that uh, Matt Rule and the people um, that were with him at Baylor um, and probably even at Temple, you know, they had identified Teddy Bridgewater as a guy that if they ever got to the NFL, that would be a quarterback they felt that would work well in their system. So, um, you know, I think you're starting to see a lot of uh, really good, impressive things out of Matt Rule and what's going on in Carolina. You know, it I may agree. not translate to wins here. I mean, this year. But they're set, I think they're, they're, they're putting themselves on a good path, I think. This is how good Matt Rule has been this year. I think it's possible Joe Brady's going to get a head job this year. Mm. That's how impressive the Panthers have been. That's how adult and professional the organization looks. Joe Brady was the hot offensive coordinator in college football. Matt Rule gets hired. They sign a big check because there were other NFL and college teams that wanted Joe Brady. And now I think Joe Brady is right up there among the top coaches who are going to be interviewing for jobs and maybe getting jobs in a couple of months. Hmm. And I think it'll be a really interesting dynamic to see if he gets a job, how the Panthers offense goes without him and who they replace him with. Well, maybe uh, it won't be Mike Shula. It will not be Mike Shula. Mike, uh, remember because Rob Chudzinski was here for that one year and then got – Yep. I mean, it's funny you bring that up, though, because I think everyone respects Ron Rivera, the person. And I think Ron is a professional football coach. But I, I don't know that people were jumping up and down about his staff, particularly at the end. I don't remember a lot of guys, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe Sean McDermott is the exception. Uh, there might have been another one, too. But th- there are guys on the Panthers' current staff who are in line for promotions. Yeah, well, and you know, um, it's not um, it's not a great uh, uh, tree necessarily, um, but it, there are, you know, some guys that did, you know, obviously you mentioned one of them, which was, um, you know, Sean McDermott in Buffalo. You know, Steve Wilkes was hired. Now, granted, he only had one year in Arizona yep. and it didn't go well. Yep. Um, so, you know, um, you know, I think Ron was, if Ron were, if, if, you, if you could put Ron's career in like a college program, um, to me, he'd be a, a little bit like a Boston college, you know, where he's going to be good every now and then, and then he's going to have some down years every now and then. But it's going to be, you know, um, you know, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be professional. And yeah, uh, I mean, I've I've always been a John Fox guy. It was kind of ironic when the Panthers moved on from John Fox. They hired a guy a little bit like John Fox, kind of a a solid, good coach 
who has some strengths and some weaknesses and certainly isn't Bill Belichick, but also isn't Anthony Lynn. Mm -hmm. And I I think Matt Rule is more of a roll of the dice. I think I said it. We can go back and listen. I'm sure a lot of people will. Um, I think I said I thought it was a worthwhile bargain when they hired him. And and halfway through a year, it's only one year. It's not like their record is that good. But I see things that look very promising. And when Joe Brady leaves, what will that mean? I don't know. Do you have a a pick of the week this week? We've got the – the Patriots are a touchdown favored over Baltimore. That's, um, yeah, that's an interesting game, right? Um, I'm sorry, the the Patriots are, are obviously a, a touchdown underdog. Underdog. I was going to say, uh, I, I mean, <laughs> I'll take the Ravens in that. Yeah, they're they're getting <laughs> they're getting seven. New England is playing at home. Yeah, uh, New England's playing but, at yeah, home. I mean, um, <laughs> if the Patriots were were given seven, I think I'd take the Ravens. Um, yeah, and I put my mortgage on it. Yeah, no doubt. Um, in that game, it's at home. It's still Bill Belichick. I- I'll take the Patriots, but I'm not really comfortable about it. I, I just I, I-, yeah, I said this I've just last about week. Gotten to the end of it's Bill Belichick. Like I, yeah. I, I have been right with you for half the season. He'll figure it out. He's a genius. All of that, but. If you actually watch these games, two weeks ago against Buffalo, they played competitively. They probably could have won, maybe should have won. Newton fumbled at the end of the game. Two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, they were absolutely embarrassing. And, and this week against the Jets, they, they could have lost. I mean, yeah, because could. of what he's accomplished, no one is going to say this. But if he was less of a coach and had less of a a track record, people would be saying... Bill Belichick, the coach, needs to fire Bill Belichick, the general manager. Yeah. They don't have any talent. No. They've drafted poorly for two or three straight years. They've been bad in free agency. I They have one of the worst rosters in the NFL. Now, they still have Bill Belichick, and he game plans really well, and he's really smart, and sometimes Cam Newton looks like he did five years ago. But more often than not, they're just a bad football team. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to stick with the Patriots on this one, but um, I'm not as, as confident as I was earlier in the year. Let's put it that way. Well, I think I think that's fair. I like the Panthers at home against Tampa Bay. I have disliked Tampa Bay yep. most of the year. Maybe they're going to bounce back after uh, after that Saints game. But I've been more more fortunate than not playing the other side of Tampa. And, and yeah, I'm sure they're going to get it together. And the Panthers are, are not New Orleans, but Tampa has holes. The Panthers are going to score points, and I think it'll be a competitive game late. And and Maybe Tampa, because they're the better team, they're the more mature team, they're all those things. Maybe they're going to win the game, but are they going to win it by five and a half points? I, I don't know. I'll take my I'll take my shot with the Panthers. All right, and one last thing before we get out of here, um, and you had mentioned this to me uh, either on a text or email last night, maybe this morning, um, and I I only know this because I got a uh, an alert on Facebook um, of our stand-up from Fisherman's Wharf. Uh, yep. but, but today, and that was two days ago, two days, three days ago. Uh, but yep. today is the one year anniversary of Winthrop's big upset win over number 18 St. Mary's in Moraga. Yeah, the world was a different place then when we we broadcast a game and got on a bus and went as fast as possible through security at SFO and made it on the red eye and back to Charlotte and Rock Hill. And, it, you know, it's, could, could you it's imagine- amazing to think of. 
could you imagine if we told people today, said, yeah, so we were just in Hartford, we went to San Francisco, then we went to Fresno, then we went back to San Francisco, and then we came back to Charlotte. We'd be in quarantine for a month. Yeah, and we ate together, and we shared this, that, and the other, and airplanes, and trains, and everything. It was planes, trains, and automobiles without the trains. Exactly. And it was a lot of fun. You know, we should have taken BART just so we could have said that. (laughs) Crazy, crazy to think of what's happened. But it doesn't take anything away from that game. I mean, it was incredibly memorable, incredibly fun, a huge win for the program. I mean, I still think that's a huge win for the program. That's the type of win that you can recruit using. That's the type of win that, that... players remember and become a, a piece of the, the history of your team. And who knows what that was going to lead to. That may have led to, instead of being a 15 seed, being a 14 seed, and instead of playing a team that's way better than you, a team that you have a chance against. I mean, all of those things are in play. Obviously, there was no NCAA tournament, so you don't know. But you know you're around a good program when you win games like that. Not every year, but with some consistency. And over our time at Winthrop, we've been very fortunate to see wins over Miami and wins over Clemson and wins over St. Mary's and obviously the, the magical tournament run when, when Winthrop beat Notre Dame. But but like you're around a good program when big teams don't want to schedule you or when you give teams a run for their money. Like Fresno State. I mean, Fresno State wasn't great last year by any stretch of the imagination, but they paid Winthrop a bunch of money to come play that game. I guarantee you if Winthrop six months ago had called up Fresno State and said, hey, you want to do that again? They would have gone, yeah, yeah, yeah we're good about yeah, that. Yeah, no, we're good. <laughs> no, stay in your bubble. Stay. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I think that's it. That's, uh, that's what we got this week. Uh, you have a big week coming up. You got the uh, – the, uh, Charlotte and Gardner Webb football game coming up on Saturday. Doesn't get much bigger than that. Bigger now is that uh, people can uh, now wait. Are you, you're doing the radio for Gardner Webb on this one, right? Yep. 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 Because you have done some ESPN Plus, uh, or you did a ESPN ESPN Plus broadcast earlier this year. So this will be your second game. In, t- in second game yep. since the Big South tournament. Yeah. Wow. That's nuts. That's nuts. <laughs> now does Gardner Webb have a chance? No. Okay. I didn't think so. But I, just, I mean, I, like, I mean, who who knows, right? I yeah. mean, like 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 no one knows anything about Gardner Webb. They've got a new coach. They've got some returning guys. They've got some new guys, but they're playing a team that's a level up who has been playing certainly not every week with Charlotte. They've had as many games canceled as they have they're played, played yeah. but I mean, you know, on paper they should be a lot better. They should be in a lot better shape, all of those things. But for Gardner Webb, just having an opportunity to get on the field and kind of evaluate and see what you've got that there, there's there's some value in that all right so make sure you check it out uh, tell everybody where it's going to be dave so they can tune in well probably the best place is uh on the tune in app you can listen but wgnc and gastonia is our flagship affiliate and then you can listen online and so forth and so on. It's a, it's a noon kick, so you can you can listen or you can watch, and you won't miss uh, any of the good Masters coverage in the afternoon. <laughs> All right. Well, make sure you uh, like us, subscribe to us, leave us a message. Uh, we are at Bearded Carcast on Twitter, and you can email us, beardedcarcast at outlook.com. <laughs>